Hey everyone, this is Philip from Hail Reaper. In today's episode, we have a discussion about Olympic nights, and then we create our own Olympic night using fantasy writing and role-playing mechanics in our first ever Howler Homebrew. Also wanted to give a special shout out to some new patrons that have entered our private Discord community and have been given amazing new Howler names. So, shout out to Sundog, Fetch, Dynamic, Kraken, Scrapper, and Houdini. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and these are my good friends, Jeremy and Mathar. Howdy, hi. Howdy, hi. Hello, Philip. I don't know why I have to go first. Really, I think Mathar should reply first. Mathar said seniority. Uh, <laughs> I think Mathar's older. Speaking Mathar, of you are older, actually. That's not how seniority works. <laughs> not by much, but just a little bit, by a hair. So I get that. I am the eldest. Yeah, <laughs> eldest. <laughs> The wisest and the Do you eldest. Do people can tell that I'm the oldest and the wisest? No. I don't. I think that actually people would think the opposite. I think Jeremy would be perceived as the oldest and I'd be the middle child. Because I look frumpy, I think is why. <laughs> you look frumpy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about you is frumpy? <laughs> what is, I don't know what frumpy means. I don't know either. Can I, can I, I defi- look it up right yeah, now? Well, frumpy is typically like, I would say like not well put together. That's how I would interpret it. Uh, dowdy and old fashioned. Typically, that's what it refers to. I am frumpy then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a serious question that I've been thinking about on the way over. This is a genuine thought. As soon as I got in the car, I was like, sometimes just weird words or phrases pop into my head. I know, this is strange. But I thought, Freaky Friday. And I'm like, Freaky Friday, not the movie, just the phrase. That's kind of cool. I kind of like Freaky Friday. And I was thinking, okay, so Wednesday has hump day. And you have these like little things and like, so what's Tuesday? Like, This is a wild non-sequitur. Tuesday is today. (laughs) Tuesday is today. We're recording on Tuesday. And I'm like, what is Tuesday? What what can we give Tuesday to make it special? Tubular Tuesday? I like that. Mathar, suggestion? Are you kidding me? I know what you're going to say. Everyone. I know what you're going to say. Everyone knows it's Taco Tuesday. Yes, exactly. Oh. But I want to come up with our own Tuesday thing. Is there something? I like tubular. Tuna Tuesday. If you want (laughs) to. We can all eat tuna out of a can. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tunes day like you the day you watch cartoons or play Ooh, tunes your favorite day. Tunes? tunes day i like that yeah okay i uh, like tunes day i think we all agree okay tuesday it is I'm, I'm down okay here we go let's move let's move on how are you going to christen the inaugural tunes day if you don't tell us what your favorite song is today i was thinking tune like cartoons day but then you said song and i immediately went to yakko Singing the countries of the world. Ooh, Animaniacs. Yeah. If I just busted this out and just sang the whole thing, how impressed would you guys be? I feel like so impressed. I feel like you could do a Yakko voice. Yeah, try it. Try a Yakko. That's Rob Paulson is inimitable. So this is going to be very bad. And now, the nations of the world brought to you by Yakko Warner. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, and still. This is amazing. Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Bermuda, Bahamas, Tobago, San Juan. 
Paraguay, Uruguay, Suriname, and French Guiana, Barbados, and Guam. Wow, this is really hard. That's after amazing. <laughs> wow. Fashion. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, I'm now standing and clapping. Yeah, it's a, and not a slow clap, like a genuine clap. Yeah, that was not slow. Oh Holy my. smokes, Matthew. Oh. That was awesome. Speaking of Bolivia. <laughs> <laughs> The Olympics are happening right now. Yes. Did you guys watch the opening ceremonies? I only caught some of them on YouTube, but I know the soundtrack was like Kingdom Hearts, Chrono Trigger, lots of like video game music. Oh, that's rad. And I thought that was so awesome. Actually, if you go to Google right now, the homepage of Google has an 8-bit game that you can play. I've seen that. Yeah. Checking that out right now. And I started it just out of curiosity and had to stop and commit myself to coming back and finishing it because it looks fun as hell. It's really cool looking, actually. I'm looking at it right <laughs> the now. The intro is so legit. It's brilliant and beautiful. Because the Olympics are in Japan, so they made a very anime and mm -hmm. classic NES or Famicom graphics like smooshed together, and it is so good. And it oddly relates very, very, very tangentially to what we're talking about today. <laughs> but... Before we get into all of that, I wanted to give everyone a quick update on the Red Rising Institute draft quiz. We have some analytics. Who doesn't love analytics? You guys ready for some statistics? I am. I'm so ready. Absolutely. Cool. So I wanted to first start by thanking everyone who took the quiz and gave us feedback on it, shared their house with us and how they felt about that because... I know a lot of folks were placed in the houses they thought that they were going to end up in, and then quite a few folks ended up in houses that totally surprised them. Yet, for the most part, it looked to me like people were pretty happy. Like, I saw yeah. a lot of like, yeah, it makes sense. Cool. I really like it. Like, interesting quiz. I think whether or not you ended up in the house you, you wanted to or you thought you would, I think people had a good time with it. As evidenced by the, you ready for this? Drum roll, please. 2,000. 431 people who took our quiz. <laughs> Woo. Nice. That's awesome. awesome. That's a lot of howlers. Um, yeah. So we, I actually can share with you guys uh, some more statistics if you like. The numbers are in and House Juno actually came out on top by not a significant margin, but Juno is actually in the first place. We have 389, 16% of those who took the quiz ended up in House Juno. Interesting. What was second place? House Bacchus got second place, y'all. <laughs> okay. I, my first instinct was correct. Bacchus? House Bacchus ended up yeah. in uh, second place, 15.8%. Uh, they were five short so far. So far, they're five behind Juno. And then uh, by a pretty significant trail is uh, House Minerva and House Mars, 12.5% uh, to House Minerva, 9.4% to Mars. And then Diana, Jupiter, Ceres, Pluto, Apollo, Venus, Mercury. Mercury, sadly, is in last place. It's interesting. When you look at the questions and answers, there are some really interesting responses in here. And uh, what's interesting about it isn't just the responses to the questions. It's the margin by which we got some top responses. Mm, yeah, yeah. So uh, some of them are pretty obvious, but I'll state a few that I thought kind of jumped out to me. By probably one of the largest margins in the entire quiz, when asked the question, your Primus gives you a potentially dangerous directive, it doesn't show me the rest of the question, but I think it is how do you respond or what do you do? Yes. By literally the largest margin in the entire quiz, 
1,691 responses said they would suggest a safer alternative. And the next most popular response is listen to the order because you're a team player. That's 381. (laughs) So 68% of respondents chose a safer alternative. I'll give you, I know, you know, for in the interest of time, I'll just get into like one or two more. But this one was interesting Perfect. to me. As a peer list, you have prestigious families lining up to offer you, I forget what the full question is, but something like offer you a mentorship or apprenticeship, apprenticeship, right? So uh, what, are you, what are you looking for in a mentor? What, so the answers were your wealth, your influence, your acceptance, I think acceptance, influence, knowledge, and wealth. What do you guys think was the top response? Knowledge. That's what I would guess as yeah, well. By 66.5%, that's like how many people Whoa. chose knowledge. 1,600 like responses, that. over 520 yeah. is influence was the next one. So uh, again, like it's interesting to see- How many chose wealth on that, Mathar? Only 87, so 3.6%. Wow. Yeah. This one was a little more evenly split, at least between two answers. Uh, you and your house have been captured. What do you do? The responses were uh, serve proudly, to not bring shame to your house, uh, do only what is required and nothing more, plan a coup, because you serve no one but yourself, or become an oath breaker. What I found, found interesting is like, despite the fact that we had a lot of team players in previous questions, this was equally split between do only what is required and plan a coup. Like nobody likes to be told what to do. <laughs> and so it's very telling yeah. that like people couldn't decide if they wanted to just like, okay, I'm gonna stay and just deal with it. Or I'm gonna plan a coup. Not very many people wanted to be an oathbreaker or to like basically serve proudly. But even though those top three were split, the oathbreaker was very unpopular in that. I just thought it was very telling to like look at some of these responses and see how people are leaning. So that was a very Juno kind of characteristic, the not wanting to be told yeah. what to do. So it's interesting that correlation, right? That those two uh, answers sort of lend themselves to that Juno characteristic, and that happened to be the most heavily weighted. Uh, of our total answers, so I was an oathbreaker almost every time I took that quiz. Were I, you really? Yeah, I really hate like the idea of like obligation. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so uh, I was, I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. That's cool. That's so I, funny. I'm with, I'm with a uh, million and Dax on this one in the first book. Yeah, they, they, I, they pieced out. I consistently answered do the bare minimum on that question. <laughs> that was basically yeah. me. That's fun. I was like, I don't want to be an oathbreaker. I don't want to plan a coup. <laughs> That's too much work. I'm just gonna basically like <laughs> keep yeah. my head down and do absolute minimum. Yep. But you guys did not do yep. the same. There Everyone out there did not do the minimum. They took this quiz over and over and over again. We had, you know, a couple thousand people jump in and find out where they fit. We saw tons of responses online. And so thank you all so much because it was so cool to like have that experience and share it with everyone. And uh for all my fellow Venusians out there, let's plan like hey. a let, let's plan a little meetup online somewhere where just us Venusians can hang out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all you charming devils can get together that in sounds one room. Like trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't taken the quiz yet and you're here talking about it, you want to take the quiz, it's easy to find. Uh, you go to one of our social media. We have, have at Pod for Twitter and for Instagram. We have what's called a link tree, and that's just a quick link in the bio. You can click on it, and it shows you the list of things that like our website, where to find our podcast, but also it has our Institute quiz uh, as a quick hot link. So you can go right there. That's one of the fastest ways to find it, especially if you already follow us on social media. And if you haven't followed us on social media, please do so. We want to see you there. We want to interact with you. 
So go ahead and take that quiz and come join Jeremy and I in uh, House Minerva. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and let's pivot here and let's talk about what today's episode is about. We're going to do a Howler homebrew. So this is a new term for the podcast that we haven't used yet. We've been calling it in the past question of the week. And so we have a guy in our group, our Discord group, which is exclusive to our patrons. And it's a really fun place we hang out. We have dubbed it the Strawberry Rising. It's kind of an inside joke, but we love using it. It's making its way into the world. It's making its way. <laughs> a lot of fruit jokes happen in there. Strawberries uh, Pierce definitely are... helped us in that sense. <laughs> and and Pierce commented on it and was so down with it in, when, in our uh, behind the scenes episode that we did for our Patreon, by the way. Very affirming. Yeah. Uh, so we've kind of retooled the idea of question of the week, which you've done again on past episodes. But Fractal, who proposes these each Monday, these questions that are thought provoking, ask the entire community. Uh, we thought of a better name for it. Just question of the week style is so basic, especially considering how cool the questions were. So we were calling it the Howler Homebrew. I feel bad because like Fractal went through all that work of trademarking question of the week. I know. And now he has to trademark a whole new phrase. <laughs> a lot there of paperwork. We well, a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of red tape, yeah. bureaucracy. <laughs> That's so good. Well, we have a really good question of the week now, Howler Homebrew, that I love and I want to talk about. I'm going to present it to you guys a little bit, and then we'll kind of kind of dig into it piece by piece. In our rebranding from question of the week to the Howler Homebrew, we decided let's do an entire episode and. I love this question from Fractal. I think this is so cool. Do we need a Howler homebrew theme song? That would be... Insert here. Yes, please. (laughs) I feel like we do. Yes, insert here right now. Hit it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Jam, 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 jam. Uh, Here's the question. The position of Olympic Knight was once the most prestigious achievement a gold could obtain. However, the Solar Republic disbanded the Olympic Knights in favor of Republic Wardens. The war between the society and the Republic has reached new heights, and Sovereign Augustus wants to reinstate her own version of the Olympic Knights and put them into combat against the society's own knights. You have to create an Olympic Knight that will fight for the Republic. Just some notable Olympic Knights, just to kind of establish where we are in case someone hasn't read the story in recent vintage and wants to like, we're jogging memories here. Uh, Lorne is the Rage Knight, retires, then Fitchner becomes the Rage Knight. Yep. Aja, the Olympic Knight. Cassius is the Morning Knight, takes that over in Golden Sun. And then in the second trilogy, we have two, I think the two most notable, Diomedes, the Storm Knight of the Rim, and then Atlas is also the Fear Knight. So I think those are the, for me though, the ones that really stand out when I read the story or go through. What we're going to do today, we're going to go back to that fractal question. I don't know if we're going to try to build an Olympic night that we should be all afraid of or one that we're going to be rooting for or whatever it might be. But we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to have Mathar help us build our own Olympic night. Hail Reaper is brought to you this week by Tariqian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Tariqian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Tarigian Law is that there's no double speak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Just call 559-627-5399 or visit tarigianlaw.com on the whole net. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. 
Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarikian Law. The advice you need minus the BS. We are back from break, and we're going to begin to build our very own Olympic night through a little bit of role-playing. So where do you guys uh, want to start here? So I think, you know, this is an, an interesting challenge, and I was having a hard time wrapping my brain around it until you said something, Philip. You're like, it's kind of like building a character in, like for a D&D campaign, right? But, it, you know, instead you're building it within this, like, other fictional universe that you're not going to role play in but that totally hit home for me and, and it clicked into place and so i thought i would draw on that experience for those who don't know i play a lot of dungeons and dragons yes nerd alert fifth edition <laughs> uh and i i play other role-playing games as well but a lot of the tools that i use to create what we call npcs or non-player characters and to help players at my table because uh, i am forever a dm to help them create their characters, a lot of the tools that I use are also utilized by novelists, authors uh, in fiction settings like such as this one. So I thought I would pull a few of those in, and most of these are coming from a book. If anybody wants to pick it up, it's called uh, The Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide. It's written by one of my favorite people on planet Earth. His name is James D'Amato. I pulled a few of these ideas in to help us create our Olympic night. So I'm going to start with, uh, how do you guys feel about that, first of all? I'm actually pumped. I, I We have not rehearsed this. I got energy too, man. I'm yeah. so pumped for this. We haven't rehearsed this. We're just going to talk through it. And Jeremy and I are going to build this. Uh, I know you're going to be prompting us, but I know I want you to jump in here too. But I'm excited. Feeling good? I'm going to kind of moderate the discussion. We're going to make one character. We talked about making multiple characters, but it's just too much. So we're going to make one amazing Olympic night. And, uh, and then you guys are going to tell us how terrible it is. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> so I think where we should start is um, I want to talk about lessons that your character learned growing up and in training that helped shape their identity as a hero. H- how about this one? I'll pitch one here. Before you truly understood your abilities, you unintentionally caused harm with them. I'm going to throw this to Philip. What did you break or who did you injure? How did you make up for your mistake? And what did this situation teach you about managing your strength? I think this is very apt for an Olympic night. I'm going to say that I was uh, playing with, oh, man, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I don't see a lot of pets in uh, the world of Red Rising, but let's just say we, we we're, we're <laughs> oh, no. yeah, um, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So um, I'm going to say it's a dog. Why not? Like a carved dog. Who cares? You know, it's something like that. It'd be kind of fun. Sure. So it's this carved dog. It's like kind of half like dog. Dire wolf. Yeah. Some sort of dire wolf dog. It, it jumps on me and I toss it back. And we keep doing this repeated process. This is what I do with my real dog. I let him jump, hit my chest, and I kind of push him off. And it's this kind of game of hop, essentially. But what say I'm 12 years old and I kind of like, you know, the dog jumps on me. I return that same force and end up throwing the dog, <laughs> just like kind of launching the dog almost a couple feet. And then the dog, because it's a carved creature, lands safely on its feet. But I look at my own arms and my own hands thinking, how did I just toss it that far? Like realizing I have this like an ability to like take that force and reapply it and kind of toss it back. 
I love what you've described the setting of like this being a really, really early discovery that like, hey, I'm a lot stronger than I realize, right? Like I, I'm literally fighting with, you just described a child fighting with a direwolf. <laughs> so this kid is obviously really, really tough and roughhoused a little too hard with this dog and it signaled that it was a little too rough. Jeremy, so how do you make up for that mistake? So I think in order to apologize in essence uh for scaring the dog you didn't injure it so i don't think you have to like go out of your way and like start some sort of like stray dog adoption agency or anything like that it's 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 not a large enough infraction for that but what no, you're i think right, you're right, you're right. what i think you do however is for whatever reason i think you have some sort of abilities as um as a tailor or, or a seamstress and, and you decide to make it a custom bandana Ooh. So now you have a dire wolf bandana that you've uh, fasted to, okay. your, to your animal. Okay. You went deep. You went deep. We were looking for you. Pet the dog on the head. <laughs> Calm it down. Like, uh, no, you went deep. You're like, I, you know what? I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, you got to right, stay me, there. Let me, let me knit stay. this for you real fast. I'll be right Give back. Me 25 minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just wait. I'll be right back. So what does that teach you about managing your strength, right? Like, this is cool because we're creating, like, this is the first moment in our night's life in which they realized, like, crap, like, I'm kind of strong, right? Like, I'm kind of a tough person. So I think for me, this is a really beautiful like setup for this because now we have the first moment in this night's life. And before this, they weren't really thinking about what they were going to do. They just liked to roughhouse. You know what it does say to me is that they don't have siblings. Yeah. They're out fighting with a dog because they're an only child, right? So that's an interesting fact that I'm just learning about this character is they are an only child and they spend a lot of time roughhousing with their like carved dog that's larger than it should be and actually caused it pain it actually startled the dog with how strong it was in roughhousing and i think i'd look at myself and say i need to learn to control this right like mm -hmm. i think i need to learn to be a little bit more cautious because i love this thing this is like this is basically my brother yeah. <laughs> or my sister <laughs> this is this is my pack right this is like the only thing i have i don't have any brothers and sisters and so like i don't want to cause any harm here and so i think it's a pretty amazing revelation to think like, all right, well, I'm going to dedicate my life. Well, not my life, but I'm going to spend some time understanding my abilities. That experience informs a lot of like what our character goes through on their path to becoming a knight. So that's, that's awesome. I love that. Okay. So I think we'll do one more of these lessons to kind of establish who our character was in youth, and then we'll move on. So as an adolescent, you stood up against something stronger than you to fight a perceived injustice. Jeremy, what did you lose in pursuit of your ideals? Ooh. I perceive that our character in some sort of home village or or just the city or wherever this, this character grew up suddenly became kind of a victim as well and had to watch some sort of attack by a higher color on one of their, uh, it's an only child, so so maybe on their mother, maybe on a cousin, some, some sort of familial relation. And in turn, I think our character lost a little bit of their innocence in that moment. Because even though you stand up to injustice and you do the right thing, you know, attacking someone or taking a life or whatever was necessary in that moment, uh, certainly while right, definitely rip some of that innocence of youth away from you. That's wildly profound. I love that I so love much. That. Um, Great answer. So then how does this shape your response to wrongdoing as an adult? This is an important segue into 
you know, becoming a potential Olympic knight? I'm going to pull from uh, some characters I know we really like. I know that uh, I like uh, this character people are familiar with, Ephraim, who just kind of has a lack of empathy from <laughs> uh, uh, for, for people and and losing that innocence. I would, I would, I would say a suppressed empathy. Yeah. <laughs> no, Very um, suppressed. So it's like that event, it wasn't like the actual response. I think it just kind of set off this chain reaction. You know, the character loses their innocence in that moment, kind of sees the world in this in this way. And it's questioning, why should I care about a world that doesn't care about me? I'm losing this moment of innocence. And so I think that there's a clinical side of this character that is now being pronounced out from that first event, but it just keeps taking shape over the years as the character grows and doesn't really identify or see people with a lot of empathy anymore. Hmm. Okay. This took a turn, and I want to just clarify. So you're saying that in adolescence, standing up for something, you know, to fight a perceived injustice ended in a slight lack of empathy in the character overall, right? Like a, a, a mm -hmm. slightly more clinical approach to doing things? Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. It got dark. Totally realistic. <laughs> totally dark, and I love it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So in the interest of time, I'm going to choose a few more of these prompts to kind of Please. like shape this character. I think this is the one right here. And be based on what you just said, this isn't the direction I was going to go, but this is how it's going to go. <laughs> in the pursuit of righting wrongs, the line between good and evil has become blurred. You've done things you could never have imagined doing before, but you're not sure that you crossed a line. So what words guide you toward your moral center and who said them? So I think kind of hearkening back to that trauma with that family member uh, being attacked in their youth, I think that this person's matriarch, their, their mother, uh, if you will, said some sort of turn of phrase that had to do with family ties or, or the importance of family to them. And so when in times of, of crossing that line, recentering your moral character around the fact you're doing it for family, the fact that everything comes back to um, that first act and that it was done in justice kind of helps recenter you. Wow. it's really well said. I don't know where it comes from, but the Latin phrase familia ante omnia family before everything mm, nice i'm just gonna spitball here because i i claim the character just didn't really identify had some lack of empathy but maybe it it doesn't extend to everyone because family is really important yeah. to this character so it's much it, like the godfather yeah, right? yeah exactly that's where i was going if you're outside the family yep. it's like you're whatever but mm -hmm. like in the family it's like it's just like thick as thieves kind of thing mm -hmm. i like this what about and forgive me if I'm stepping on your toes. It's okay. But what if the idea of family in this moment extends beyond immediate family? What if they understand the idea of family is bigger than like the family you're born into? I, I totally agree. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait a second. Like family before everything. Maybe people outside of my blood relation can be my family. And that changes how they perceive people in the world. I agree with this. And I like this because this is how I perceive my family. I think family is a choice in a lot of ways, personally. That's just my, mm -hmm. my, my own opinion. I think a lot of people would take the counter opinion and say, no, family is, you know, your mom and your dad and the people you're born to. I, I love my mom and dad beyond belief. I also am lucky enough to choose them. But 
you guys are my family and I think there's other people in my life that I would consider the same. So I do love that. And I kind of think that is the, maybe the godfather thing that you're talking about Mm -hmm. too, Jeremy, a little bit like, you know, it's not just the people that you're blood relatives of, but the people that really matter most and play the role in your life. So I, I love this character has some sort of grounding. I love that. That phrase you brought up, Mathar is really, really cool. It's wonderful. And in that tragedy, what we're calling a tragedy, you know, like what happened, you know, defending that family member, you know, like realize also maybe the importance of how much that family member meant to them in that moment. And then realize like everyone outside of this, I just don't, I don't care for them. Like that's just like that, that lack of empathy that I spoke about. It's like. So we're seeing a character arc there, right? So yeah, th- this is important Before, in, in their path to becoming you know, their true Olympic night, that they go from that like unempathetic sort of like, well, listen, if you're not family, you're nothing. I only live for a family. My loyalty is to my family. And then having the realization that like, maybe my family is bigger. Maybe like people can be family, right? Maybe I can have loyalty and commitment to people who are not my, you know, born kin. And that moment might be so so pivotal. So um, there's a couple others that I want to get into. Uh, in order to get there, I think there's one I have to do in between. So this exercise is called Movements of a Master. What we're going to do here is tell the story of unsteady movements becoming practiced and graceful. We're going to choose an ability that this character possesses. And I think, I don't want to like speak for you, but I think it's obvious what their strength is from the story that we've told so far. This is not to say it's the only tool or the only weapon that they use, but we're going to choose what one of their abilities is, and then we're going to roll on a table that I have here to prompt the start and end point of their training and answer a few questions about it. And that's going to help us understand the middle part of this Olympic Knights journey. What is the skill going to be? What's the ability going to be? I, ha- I have one here. I like this. Uh, I'm going to say okay, go for it's it. not something I like a lot in real life, but boxing, being a really skilled boxer. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I love this. How do you feel about that, Jeremy? I'm down with it. Yeah. Dude, I admire boxing, I like boxing so cool. movies. Okay, I like that, Rocky. I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> I like Rocky. I, I was thinking along those lines. I was thinking like wrestling, uh, sparring of some kind. So this is perfect. Okay. Again, we're kind of connecting the world of Red Rising to like contextualizing it within ourselves. So that's perfect. I'm going to have each of you roll uh, a D6. Philip, yours is going to be the starting point and Jeremy, yours is going to be the ending point. Okay. So each of you grab a D6 and roll it. I only have 36 of these, so. <laughs> Your shadow run dice. <laughs> Whoa. Interesting. So we ended with the same number. We both got two. Uh, according to the table. When you started, you lacked confidence. And when you ended, you move with flair. No, I think this is good. So Especially for boxing, question, you want to move with the flair. Yeah. So. Michael B. Jordan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so this fits perfectly <laughs> with our setup. So some questions that are going to help us chart this story of this Olympic Knights training. Where did you first learn this technique? I'm thinking like, and, and the really grounding this in Red Rising. Mm-hmm. Streets of Hyperion slums. 100%. Streets of Hyperion slums in Luna. They have some these uh, fights that are like ordained fights. Mm-hmm. But then they have this other side of this that is maybe more readily available to the public to a child or a young teen walking down the streets that they're not ordained fights, but they're happening in alleyways and other places that are kind of a little more rough. 
So it's like you can get into like a, a less, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like you, you can like walk in basically to like yeah. get into one of these fights. Yeah. And then like if you get noticed, you maybe get called up to sort of like the 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 organized yeah. matches. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can kind of graduate up into those higher levels of like the ordained fights that are happening in the gym. But a lot of times it starts on the outside of the gym or in the alleyway of the gym and yeah. kind of graduate. Very like backyard brawl. And then you you kind of work your way up. Right. There's a scene in Iron uh, Gold in which uh, we see that like down in the slums of Lost City and Hyperion, you know, people hang out around barrel fires and they ha- they form like communes like deep down underneath like the rail lines and everything. So they- there could be like some very unorganized, very loose like street matches, sort of like you show up and you sort of put your your hand up on the chain. And, you know, when they see you, they call you in. You just want to prove yourself. Okay, so one of two things is true. They either don't come from any kind of privilege, right? And this is the only way they could seek to gain any kind of notoriety for their skill. Or they do come from privilege and they did not want to have that privilege influence people's perception of their skill. So which is it? Well, we don't know yet, but let's answer the next question. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right, all right. Let's not speculate right now. Yeah. Okay, so the next question is, uh, when was the first time you had to use that technique in a high stakes situation. I kind of see this much in, I don't want to make it like really based on anything else, but what first came to mind is, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Rage and Bull to speak of kind of Rocky-esque movies. Oh, yeah. and so you kind of, and, and Mathar made it's this classic. call out that it's kind of by the barrel fires. It's sort of this seedy underground. We've already kind of made this reference to organized crime mafia. So I kind of see like a, like a local crime boss coming to you at some point and having money pulp fiction yeah having having money on you uh maybe to throw the fight it really tests you in that moment but you understand like the the physical danger even uh if you decide not to go along with it yeah i love that so the next question is what moment provided you with a new level of clarity i think what happened to this character is that there was a tournament and it was just like drawing straws and you end up with the name of the person that you're fighting just by a random draw of the straw our character picked the top brawler by chance off that same straw and so they're gonna fight each other and that top brawler got their butt kicked by our character not even realizing our character didn't even realize that they could do that but they just totally killed it in the ring okay i love that you know, you just said something that like makes me think maybe it's time to give our character a name, right? You said our character multiple times and it made me realize like they're earning it right now. Maybe we award how dope this character is with a name. What do you guys think? Oh man, I don't I don't have any ideas quite yet, but I'm 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 wanna <laughs> let's shoot some out. I'm in my Z. element right now. This is great. Okay, so <laughs> this may influence some of the color a little bit, but could you think of like any kind of ancestry that this character's name might be maybe i mean you, you talked about raging bull can i suggest like italian maybe yes, like an italian absolutely. Yeah, there we go. absolutely okay go even more more because just leaning into that a little bit <laughs> yeah, okay cool all, the way. all right so right now i'm seeing some that i like dante is a good one so good anselmo is a really good one um do we have a gender in mind male female like i i think it'd be cool if it was a female that was like a female boxer just kicking it but like well, I'll just, give you guys some names and then we, we can just mm-hmm. like go off the yeah. name, right? So we yeah, don't have let's to just like do it pick based a gender off the name. Yet. I, I, I like it. By name. So, okay. Um, Santo, Dante, Erminio, 
Elisa, stop me when you have some that you like and yeah, you keep want going me to save I'm for like later. It. Yeah. Elisa, uh, Dalia, Serena, Greta, uh, Astrid, Cecilia. Can you go back a couple to the? Uh, there was another one that started with the D that I just really liked. It sounded like I a think female. it was. I, I already refreshed the page, but it was like Dalia, maybe Dalia. How I you pronounce it? Dalia. I love that. Yeah, Dalia. Okay, cool. Writing that down. I like it. Let's go female Dahlia. character Dahlia. I like this. Okay, cool. We got I'm actually, it. I'm back here. I'm very into this. And and we won't worry about a surname that can be left. To, yeah, sure. You know, we don't need to know that. Let's go back to the final question now. What does it look like when Dahlia performs her like? Or incredible technique now, right? So the last question is, what does it look like when you do it now? So Dalia has used this uh, technique to prove herself in the fighting rings. She's got a new level of clarity because she just literally took down somebody that nobody thought she could. And she realizes like all that work has paid off. What does it look like now? I see Dahlia as a razor user, regardless of her color. And I sure. see her razor in particular because she has a boxing background as what, what are the swords that have the piece that curves around your knuckles? Oh yeah. It's got and that, so, like a cutlass. Like a cutlass. So when she can get inside, she actually is able to throw a punch. So when you so, talk about like her razor having a guard so that she can use part of her razor as like a punch, like for blunt force, yeah. it makes me think that like when she fights like her arm seems longer than it is. It's like she fights as though she's holding a sword in her hand. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, anyway. I think like fighting style, if we're kind of addressing that with and without a razor, because I want to have her have a razor and kind of use that, what we saw, a loop. A guard, yeah. A loop guard of sorts. I think she fights really close. She gets really into someone. She's swift. She's fluid. It's flowing. It's dancing, but also very in your space. And it can have a long reach she can have a long reach but i think a lot of times she gets to the point where the other fighter cannot extend their arms you know and i think a lot of what we know about razor fighting is it's this creating space creating space to kind of lure someone in especially the willow way which is talked about so much but the willow way mm -hmm. requires space it requires almost like this trap it's an invitation she's never giving anyone that opportunity ever and her background as a fighter as a boxer gives her this ability to always be like right there and to not create any kind of dancing space as, as we might call it for like a sword sword fight right no i think that's absolutely right philip i like the way you use dance right because that's exactly where my mind went is these orient uh that were brought up in razorcraft would often learn how to flow and dance and this person comes from poverty doesn't have these dance lessons isn't necessarily that coordinated or anything like that so definitely kind of gets wrapped up like you kind of see those swords pushed against each other and the bodies get close right that's the kind of movements that she's looking for so she can land a blow to the face and and break some noses i think with that uh yeah. with that knuckle bow <laughs> it's so interesting it brings up a question in my mind that i want you guys to answer does she fight so well and so efficiently that fight organizers can't wait to hire her or does she fight so efficiently that she gets thrown out because she's taken people down in like two punches right and it's like the fight doesn't last long enough for people to hang around and uh spend their extra coin and the, the fights are over too fast <laughs> right yeah. so which is it i don't have a lot of experience in this sport or like watching it or being a spectator but i do know that people being able to dispatch their competitors fast. I think that still is very attractive. People want to see how fast they can actually make it happen. 
and how like amazing that skill is to see it firsthand to witness it. Uh, I know Ronda Rousey. I've never seen a single match that Ronda Rousey's have not been a UFC person. She's but, incredible. But I know that she's incredible. I, I know that from subtext all the place and she could just take care of people quick and it was just over with and that didn't deter people from wanting to see what she could do so i kind of see that here with our character there's a couple more prompts here that can kind of help us round out this character and uh actually there's a lot of stuff we can still talk about here and maybe we'll make some bonus content for the patreon where we continue to like talk <laughs> about this character a little bit but for everyone at home this is a prompt called life goes on so either one of you describe a place that dahlia like fought at and left behind either in-depth or bullet points. Having a clear sense of the place is important because it's gonna give you a good foundation. So that we could start anywhere. It could be maybe a bar where she was on leave uh, and got into a fight. It could be an iron, a city that she was dropped into like from an iron rain, maybe a field somewhere where she was ambushed. So you're gonna describe the place and then we're gonna roll a D6 and determine the force that causes change to that place when she leaves. All right, so we talked about how Olympic Knights are missional. So I actually want to make this a sort of current campaign that the Solar Republic is center on. And I can't help mm. but have kind of a Jedi actually come to my mind and mm. how they act in this way. I think because of the trauma in Dahlia's life, the way she was brought up and what she was exposed to. I think she has this particular lot in bringing down crime lords Interesting. in some of these larger capital cities uh, throughout the Solar Republic. So I think she goes to Hyperion, kind of tracing the steps of her youth and is tasked with bringing down kind of the main crime lord in the area and uh, thus has to kind of fight a few mini bosses on her way <laughs> so to speak but but eventually sure, she's been given uh, intel yeah 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 and kind of goes in solo and busts some noses and ends up toe-to-toe -to -toe, uh with the big boss and maybe this is maybe this is actually the same boss that made her throw the fight when she was young uh that was pivotal to her development interesting did you have something to add philip no, I like that. I think you did bring this up in quick passing, possibly. I think maybe you mentioned the idea of them having to, uh, rather like she's had to throw a fight, but I, we didn't like explore that. So yeah. I think you're looping it back in for us. I am. Yeah. I love that. Cool. <laughs> so she has returned to an area she knows well. She's been given information about some sort of criminal organization and potentially the linchpin to that is this particular boss that needs to be brought down. And so she is tasked with bringing them in, dead or alive, whatever the cost. Roll a d6. Okay, it's a four. All right, so the change that is, the force that causes change in this situation is industry. So whatever happened here, Changes have been made by large groups of organized, intelligent creatures working toward a common goal. The new developments paving over what once stood and large monuments have been like erected, right? So like the landscape and maybe even the economy have changed mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of what happened here, right? So now depending on what that is, 
you're meant to describe kind of changes that happen over a period of time. So what are the changes a week after whatever happened? It seems to me like if there's an industrial change here, the fight was big. <laughs> it caused yeah. something. And even if it wasn't big, it caused a big move or a big shift in the economy of this part of like, you said Hyperion, but let's say for the sake of argument that it's something Hyperion-esque. Maybe it's a city... Mm-hmm further out from like sure. the main core of Luna. Who knows, right? But it has that similar feel. I think like if Dahlia is driving out this big crime lord, I'm thinking of kind of gangster movie style here. You know, like the 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 cops are paid off by the crime lord or the syndicate, like are, you know, all the greys. And you're just having this, the structure just kind of fall out from the bottom because of that. There's a sh- obviously a shift financially. But I want to go a weird route here. Ooh. I want to say that like this kind of shift in financial, it's like it's a quick thing where it happens like all of a sudden, like in a day or two, this area is just completely dried out. Uh, You know, like people leave, people move, people are just gone. It just it, It's like it's kind of weird ghost towny, but a higher color, let's say a silver comes in and starts going, you know what? I actually do like this area. I'm going to repurpose it, retool it. And then. You know, you're seeing all of a sudden like industry and maybe gentrification come about <laughs> uh, and you're seeing it kind of like, you know, high rise apartments getting built in this area that it's almost getting reclaimed in this weird way that wasn't uh, it never seemed it was intended for. And I know that's like a really big zag, but I kind of want to go in that direction. Well, it's not a zag at all, because the next question is what happens a month and a year out. And I think if oh, in okay. the cool. fallout from, you know, a significant controlling faction being basically eradicated from this region, it could go a few different ways. One of the ways is that it could get divvied up into smaller factions, right? Smaller factions that are vying for control could like glom onto that. But we'll say in this instance, however nefarious, that faction had such a controlling interest over this region that when Dahlia came, fought, took down this syndicate-esque like crime organization or whatever faction it was that was causing trouble for the Republic, took them down and then left, there was nothing to fill it. And so what did fill it was corporate America, right? (laughs) So like (laughs) uh, corporatization, right? A silver filled in the gaps because they realized, hey, there's like a lot of uh, land here that essentially no one is controlling and I have the money and the means. And rather than to do it illegally, I'm going to do it above board and I'm going to fill the space. So then I'll say that takes a year. Let's jump forward and say 10 years later, what does this look like? I I think it's a a place of mint color. It's not necessarily blue collar, but maybe like a white collar area in a way. We're seeing greens and yellows. It's like an uh, outdoor yeah. sort of like shopping mall type area, like yeah. <laughs> box stores, yeah. things like that. Yeah. I, I think actually 10 years down the road, we should have Dahlia relocate and make her home here. Whether or not it is a childhood area, say it's even on a different planet, right? It's still reminiscent of a childhood and kind of a uh, oppressive force that reminds her of her upbringing that she's overthrown and helped to bring into that mid-color kind of like free space, right? And maybe she makes that her home now. Interesting. Okay. Okay, I have a little wrench to throw in this. Okay, do it. What if the region that she returns to 10 years later to make it her home is so drastically different she doesn't recognize it? The fighting pits are gone. The streets are completely scrubbed. 
she doesn't find any of her old people that she knew and that she fought next to and that she like fought against, you know, the people that organized the fights, like the places that she went to both to feel alive and to feel safe, they're all gone. And the actions that she took had the the gentrification like kind of stripped it from its culture and the people that were there. So then what does it look like in a hundred years? I don't know if I'm grounded enough yet in the world to project the hundred years. Cool. What do you think about the idea of like, you know, she comes back in 10 years and it's like, oh dude, like my actions here, though altruistic, had this effect of like basically making this place devoid of like the grit that made it so cool. I'm just going to interject, I guess, with, with her a little bit that I don't, I don't think that she's going to enjoy that. But I think that at the same time, it's still becoming a place where people can thrive. And I think that she's seeing that. She's kind of like, there's an optimism there that maybe even though there's a lament for what it was, she still has a bit of optimism for what it's become. And that way people can still have like a, like lives there and, and it can still be a neighborhood where she grew up. It's very different, but she still can see that in a positive light. So I think we've definitively established that she's not a person of privilege who came into that area, but that she's a person of no privilege who came up there. And she's come back to this place to defend them. And inadvertently, her actions, it's not her fault, but like the actions that she took on behalf of the Republic served to essentially drive out all of the culture that was there. And she comes back mm -hmm. to it. The important question we have to answer is, like you said, I mean, and Jeremy, if you agree, did she look at that and say like, wow, this place like so great now? Or did she like grieve for what was lost? Because if she, because that's the distinction, right? If she's like, well, you know what? It's not what it was, but it's better overall. Now it's safe. Now it's whatever versus like, nah, this sucks. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was so cool and so gritty and now it's not. Like that says a lot about who her character has become. I, I think, remember, she was raised on the mantra of, uh, family above all. So I think she does lament to Philip's point a bit of the loss of that grittiness. But I, I think when she sees the other families, the young children being raised in safe environments that she didn't have, although there there is a culture loss, uh, she's thankful that that there's safety uh, for these next generations of families like hers. You know that she wasn't able to have. We haven't done one thing, Mathar, and I, I want to do this, and I, all three of us maybe to speculate here. This question you brought up earlier, but it's from Fractal. Like, what color are they? And I, I have an answer. I, I'm curious what you guys think, because I, I really am, I'm really curious what you guys think about what color they are. I don't know. It's interesting to me. I was having the hardest time imagining them as a color, but by the end of it, I was just like, if this isn't a red story, like I know that's so boring <laughs> because we haven't told any other stories, but like I would say red or maybe brown. I think the name, I think the idea of above, not a high red, but a brown. You're right. Someone that would You're be right. a kind of still a servant, mm -hmm. but still having a little bit of access. And I just, I can't shake the fact that Dahlia yeah. is a brown. Yeah, I had started off thinking gray. Hmm. And by the end of the discussion, as we sort of vetted everything out, I actually landed on brown as well. Dang. And red had actually crossed my mind at some point too. I was actually Early. first, I was between red and gray. Yeah. And then I was like thinking and brown came into my mind and I just couldn't lose it yes. from then on. I, yeah. I had red first because yep. of the family thing. But then I was like, I think that that quality is probably really like readily available within the brown cast I love system that. too. 
Yeah, in fact, I, I'm going to take it again. Philip, I'm so glad you asked that question. I definitely think Dolly is a brown. I'm the first to say it. So then what do you guys think? <laughs> 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 All right, Dahlia is a brown. She's from Luna. Similar to kind of the slums of Hyperion or Lost City, but like not that explicitly, somewhere on Luna. Fractal asked a number of other questions, which I think we'll explore in maybe some like bonus content. If you're interested in learning more about Dahlia, you can sign up for Patreon. It's patreon.com slash hillreaper. And you can get into the Discord where we're definitely going to be talking about this. And if not, no big deal. It's not your thing, but we appreciate it all the same. I will say there's one question on Fractal's list that I really want to answer. Um, Let's do it. Do you think we can do it? What's I don't know what it is. theme song? <laughs> Man, I love this question, but I did not come to it with a, an answer or an idea. I just thought it was fun. Uh, Mathar, you you bring it up first. Why don't you take a crack? Okay. <laughs> the one song that really is like resonating in my head, and it might owe a lot to the like boxing, street fighting background that we've given Dahlia but I just want to read some of the lyrics. Oh yeah, here we go. We are young. Heartache to heartache we stand. No promises, no demands. Love is a battlefield. Oh, dang. I'm going to go with Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. And this, there it this is. is the thing. I'm adding something to Dahlia's story. We don't know anything about romantic interest. I love that we talked about her status and we didn't talk once about like her romantic entanglements. But I know for a fact she fell in love with someone in those fighting pits and she left them behind. And oh. this is part of like that love lost is part of why when she returns and like fights for her neighborhood, she's fighting for like that first love that never was like unrequited, right? I can't imagine a better fight scene in the slums of Luna oh my gosh. than her going toe to toe with someone like bare knuckle boxing to love as a battlefield. I love it. I picture the theme song actually being uh johnny cash's rendition of god's gonna cut you down whoa Ooh. okay <laughs> it's awesome it's sinister it's <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> this is like the fight song for me the theme song when she returns to luna to take down the boss that is oppressing her neighborhood yeah go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight writer, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him God's going to cut him down, right? Like she is bringing the theory. <laughs> I love uh, the Western this feel is, we just brought into this. Yeah, it's so she cool. is returning, yeah, I love right? the West. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Okay. Good choice, Jeremy. You guys knocked out of the park. So I'm going to go instant classic here. I think you guys might have the better choices, but still, Queen Bee is showing up here right now. She's a boxer. And I love this music video so much. So Beyonce has a song called Countdown. I think it's one of the coolest music videos I've ever seen. But thinking of her as a boxer coming out to her theme, you know, and this corner or your returning champion or whatever it might be, she's coming out and she's getting pumped. And then all of a sudden this drops and it's Countdown. And, you know, as you know, like there is obviously a count in boxing, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you have to get up before the 10 count. And so she's just waiting to knock fools down. And the 10 count, uh, she expects to get that total knockout. So I'm saying countdown by Beyonce. Oh, my God. I actually, I think you nailed it. <laughs> I kind of think it's the perfect song for this because like it's not a fight song. It's kind not of, at all. It's a sexy song. It's, it's a, a sexy song. I yeah. can get behind this. Maybe twisting the lyrics a little bit to fit, but that's so great. 
Yeah, I think I love all the answers. I, I don't have one that's favorite. I think those are all really fun and like really different. Listen, anyone out there listening, uh, if you've got an idea of what Dahlia's theme song should be, hit us up, right? And maybe if people like this character, we'll do some fan art. <laughs> so we'll get it going. Uh, yeah, we know a lot of very, very talented artistic people. So man, this was so fun. You guys did such a good job. Uh, leaning into this and the prompts and creating a character. And Fractal, if you're listening, I hope we did you proud. There we go. All right, guys, before we wrap anything up here, we've got a five-star Apple review from V Skrills. V Skrills, nice name. Yeah. And like it, it is amazing with an exclamation mark. You know, I'm just going to pull something out of thin air. I think you should read this review as Homestar Runner. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Strangely anybody remembers enough, Homestar Runner. But we were talking about this earlier yeah. and I couldn't resist. I made a note. I was like, oh, that's the voice. <laughs> you wrote it down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Strangely, I don't know if I chose this intent. I did not choose this intentionally, but it works for Homestar. Okay, All right, perfect. here we go. Do it. Okay. All right, everybody. This review comes from We Squills. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I absolutely love this podcast. I absolutely love the sound of design and the topics that we discussed. Did. A very creative <laughs> podcast. Well done. So <laughs> wow. That was really good, Homestar. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I, I didn't expect you to do it so well. Like, that was you so could have good. Sneak peek earlier, and I thought that's all you had, but you really, really. Did Homestar proud? That's well, yeah. thank you, thank that you. I, I, I may have done that, of all voices. Maybe that's the one I have the most experience with. So. You nailed yeah. it. I don't know. Your Yoda was good though. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you've done so many wonderful renditions on this show. It's it's hard. I don't know how you keep topping them, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, was good. It. I can't believe we've given Homestar Runner and Yakko and the same episode. That's a, that's a quite a feat. Wow. What a treat for the yeah. listeners. <laughs> Showing our age. Shout out to that reviewer. Thank you so much for writing that. Uh, we will send you a bookmark. Go ahead and just kind of jump in the DMs of our Instagram or send us a message on Twitter, or you can email us at hailreaperpod at gmail.com. I want to do more bonus content with this character. I really do. I know we said it, but I'm speaking it to an existence. Yeah. And to bring this person into our Hail Reaper world. I love this character. That being said, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper, everybody. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> okay, that was. <laughs> That's it. You are... I'm not taking can, it again. No, we can leave two it. hours, we can leave two hours and eight minutes. I'm not taking it again. That's it. Done. <laughs>
松开你。